welcome to No Page Unturned, the podcast where Christina, Steph, and myself, Josh, go in-depth discussing books, mainly focusing on those written by BIPOC and LGBTQ plus authors. You don't have to read along with us, but be warned, there will be spoilers ahead. For season one, we're talking The Ruined of Kings by Jen Lyons, the first book in her series, A Chorus of Dragons. The three of us love this book for being anti-imperialistic, for its fantastic queer characters, and the unique ways it explores the fantasy genre. So please, come read with us. For anyone reading uh, chapter 12, content warning for sexual abuse. Um, it doesn't explicitly go into details about sexual abuse, but Kieran's interaction with the demon is compared to it in very realistic detail that maybe you'll want to skip ahead until you see Ola in this chapter, just sort of pass those pages along. And you'll, from context, you'll get the basic gist that Kieran is not okay, but just in case... Maybe you'll want to skip those parts. So this is a podcast about The Ruin of Kings, the first book in the Chorus of Dragons series. And we are three podcasters who have started this podcast to read all of the Chorus of Dragon books because we just love them so much we had to read them again. The series is not yet finished, but we believe that everyone should read this. It is a great follow-up for fans of The Wheel of Time, uh, which Steph is, uh, for fans of General Fantasy, which Josh and I are, and for especially for uh, Game of Thrones fans who are missing their show or their books or both and maybe want something a little different, a little gayer, a little more interested in the politics and uh, deprivations of Empire. Um, it's a really smart book. Uh, and it's a really smart series, so we hope that you will listen and read along with us. If you like books with a lot of depth to them, to the point where you might have to consult some appendices and stuff, uh, these are definitely good. There's deep lore and history, lots of characters, uh, there's some body-swapping shenanigans at some points, um, but there is, they're also very smart, very funny, uh, very cinematically written, and very horny. So horny. When you guys started Ruin of Kings for the first time, what was it that sold you on it right away? Because to me, a fantasy book is structure definitely is one of like the major selling points. Just the fact that it, it is a uh, two storytellers telling different timelines in the format of a manuscript given to someone else with footnotes that are both cut through to like have the world building not weigh down the regular plot like that is what hooked me right away because the book sort of starts out like kind of typical fantasy but i feel like the uh the structure and the framework device is what gets me really like to keep going and not just be like oh this is like any other fantasy book i think for me it was it was because you had you do have this one story that is written in a very, like, classic, like, third-person omniscient fantasy tale. Uh, but then you have this other one, which is just this person recounting his own experiences from first person. And it's, like, sassy and funny and 
witty. So you get these two different styles and like, it's, it's fun. It's fun. Like he makes comments like this person looked like she was pulled up out of the depths, plonked on a ship and a bunch of birds nested in her, her hair. And she's really scary. I like her, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. It's just like very, it's like, it's a, it's a very like funny way of writing in a terrible, terrible story. Like it could be a, a really miserable story if you didn't also have this like kind of sassy quick wittedness of of one of these characters and i think that was what really got me because i was like okay like this is fun like horrible things are happening but it's fun so i'm i'm into this yeah that that's a really good way of describing it when josh asked the question i was like shit i have no idea (laughs) but um for me yeah the terribleness of the story the story takes itself seriously but it's Mm -hmm. characters less seriously so there's enough humor to get you by but um and this is something i hope we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast um but it will be spoilers the the willingness to unflinchingly look at some of the natural consequences of a fantasy world like slavery like sexism like magic use and class um are really um, clear-eyed, um, and, you know, kind of hard to read, but fortunately they're being dealt with at the same level that we would deal with them, which is to say, you know, well, we want to do something, we're going to try a bunch of things, see what sticks, but with dragons. Yeah. Yeah, this is like Kieran's, like, political awakening, because before yeah. he's very, like, uh, naive about the Empire of Quar, and... Uh, by the end, he's not, he's not 100% there, which, you know, later books we'll discuss, but, uh, in book one, he's like, now his mind is open that things in Quar are not exactly as he has been taught. But I, I like the, the point about the description of characters, because it's all, a lot of the descriptions of characters are written in a way, not in a book way, but in a... This is me telling a story, describing yeah. this person uh, to you who's listening to the story. It's like not, it's not in a prosy way. It's more in a conversational way. Yeah, there'll be like descriptions like, that person was really spooky. Like, things like that. But it's still like, well written. Yeah, it's still, you still like, it's still a good description. It doesn't have to be poetic. It can just be like the way people actually talk and think. Yeah, it re- it walks a very good line between, well, between the third person and the first person, between someone saying, that's messed up, and then describing how messed up it is. And you can be genuinely frightened, but then also genuinely reassured that, you know, this character is kind of reacting the way that you would react, and so you're like, okay, I'm, I'm into this, I can I can keep going with this. Yeah, so yeah, they're, they're really fun books, they tackle some big concepts and... and- for books that are often about a lot of misery, they do a great job of like providing this very cinematic, well-paced experience, a fun like presentation of two multiple stories, and uh, yeah, they're just they're fun. They're fun books. They're so fun. They're so kind of the inverse of Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones takes itself incredibly seriously and with good reason. You know, the writing is very good. They're very good books. The show. These books are kind of willing to tackle the same mentalities, but with, with this with this ethos of hope, the idea that you can do something about it. That it's not just 
these endless games of politics where people murdering each other and, and, and so much despair. So they, these books are really good for me to read in quarantine uh, and in 2020, even if I had a hard time reading anything. So that might be the best compliment I can give them. I got through them in quarantine. Like, what the <laughs> heck? <laughs> yeah. And also, Kieran is like, he's a good person without being the typical, uh, you know, lawful stupid, as it is <laughs> <Yes>. called. <laughs> like, you know, he's the hero, but he's not, like, above anyone else. And he sort of uh, finds his way. He makes mistakes. He's not, like, he's not, like, a prodigy, but... His backstory is complicated, and uh, I don't know. Kier- I, there's something about Kieran that is just like so good. I just like him so yeah. much. Like Kier- Kieran starts as a good character, and he has an arc, and it's a very believable arc. Mm-hmm. Another reason you should just read Chorus of Dragons in general, or female written fantasy, always a, always good. It is good way to get out of the the cycle of. Uh, George R. R. Martins and Sanderson's and fucking Rothfuss's and I, I like all those authors, but it's nice to mix it up. And Jen Lyons is awesome, and she has written what four books in three years, so we must support her. So she keeps po- pushing out fantasy books. Yes, another way that she's the inverse of the Martins and the Rothfusses. Yeah, she gets shit done. Yeah, and and they're very diverse books. There's a lot of I would say yes. good representation. Um, you will get queer characters uh, who are foregrounded, who are main characters, who aren't killed off, who get to do badass things, um, and their queerness is essential to them, not just oh, and then he was gay, and or it's or it's not the only part of their personality. Right. It's not. It's not in the background. It's not in the foreground. It's just part of a character. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've. We, yeah. Like you mentioned a little bit. Like there's some great. Um, deconstructions of like colonialism and and thing and fantasy tropes, particularly in some of the later books, you get some really interesting like deconstructions of ideas of gender and sexuality, and it's one of the best ways of explaining and flipping around gender I think I've ever seen in a fantasy novel because most fantasy books like just don't even go there. So yeah, if if you're tired of very just binary fantasy. Um, this is a great series. And it also fits the setting. Like, it's not, like, just plopped in there. It, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you read it, and it gives you any of the exposition as to why, it, like, it just, it's, it doesn't feel like it's forced in. It's just more like, oh, yeah, this this is how it is, and it makes perfect sense, and it's just part of the world. Speaking of uh, women, the women characters in the book, even though Kieran is the protagonist, even in this first book, even though we get more women characters later, even in this first book, we get a lot of great uh, women, you know, Tienso and Kamizra and Maya and even Ola. Yeah, different types of women, too, like not Mm. just damsels or your quote unquote, like strong female characters, like. All sorts of different types of women doing different things. Although I will say maybe like the one through current is that I pretty much love all of the female characters. Uh, like, yeah. I And I will admit like, yes, obviously it's because they're like really well written and, and good and everything. But I also just like 
they all, I just want to like hang out with them. Mm-hmm. I don't think they would want to hang out with me. But <laughs> most of I just want to like hang out with them, like, hi, can I be near you? I feel like that with most of the characters, actually. Like, I would definitely want to sit down with most of these characters and I don't know, just listen. I don't like, want to be anywhere near Darzen. Fair. I would want to listen to him through some high grade prison bars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, glass wall Hannibal Lecter situation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say I like the chapters with Talon and Darzin by themselves, where they're not with Kieran, because I tend to with a, a good protagonist. I'm like, do no harm to my son or daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's some good characters to hate in this too. Yeah, which mm-hmm. uh, you know every book needs. Yeah, but yeah, you you should read it. You should read it with us. You should let us know that you're reading it with us. And yes, well, we will be having our our episodes are going to have spoilers for each book. So we're going to cover each set of chapters with the the context of the whole book. But I guarantee you, if you read the book and then go back and start rereading and listening with us, you will catch so much stuff you did not uh, realize the first time. Yes, this is one of the so few they're, books they're very rereadable. I would I have I put it down and I was like I need to read that again just immediately. Yeah. So, yeah, but how do you guys feel about the magic system? Cuz that is tends to be a draw for some people. It's pretty undefined, but like in a good way. Like I don't think about it. I think is maybe the thing. I was like there's magic, some people use it, some people don't. There's some a little bit of descriptions of it, but for the most part, like, it's just there? Yeah, it seems to require study, but also, like, emotional investment. So, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty much, it's pretty much magic. I don't know. It's, it's we touched into the story well enough that I don't really think about it that much. Yeah. Yeah, it, it just seems to be a, a part of how the setting works. Mm-hmm. I, I do find the eight immortals and the demons... Very interesting. Uh, I especially like it that I hate to call out other fantasy books, but a lot of fantasy books have, you know, don't have women as gods. And this book has them in in droves and they're Mm -hmm. all they're all cool characters also. Oh, that's that's another thing, because like when I was a kid, I was big into uh, Hercules and Xena. Uh, So like the fact that the gods are. Because uh, you, a lot of fantasy nowadays has gods like separate from yeah. they're like mm-hmm. off. This this Very one, the gods least. are involved. Yeah. yeah, they are actively running around and messing with people. Like that's not a spoiler. Like literally in the yeah. setting, you can go to a temple and like ask a god for something, and there's a chance that the god yeah. might actually do it. Yeah, it's like somewhere between between D and D and like. If anyone's ever read uh, Robert Jackson Bennett, it's very, like, it's it's thoughtful about its religious concepts, which is, like, a real bugbear for me, and Josh knows this and is sick of me talking about it, so I will keep it short. It, it thinks about every aspect of culture that you can think of. So it thinks about the economics, it thinks about the, the social and political implications, and it thinks about the religion, which is, you know, it's something worth thinking about, even if you're, if you, if you want to take down religion, you need to understand religion. And so that's, uh, that's a real nice aspect for me. Mm. Yeah, but let's uh let's get into part two, 
chapters 11 through 20. Which is... So we're breaking this down, I think, into nine sections for the first podcast, nine or ten. Um, so this is about 80 pages, uh, for those of you who are looking for page counts. Not not too intimidating. It reads fast. It is. Yeah, like some, yeah, like the chapter 11, the one I'm looking at right now on my e-reader is nine pages. Like it is nothing. I think there's one later that's five pages. So it's very quick. What did you guys think? Okay, so I wanted to read something from chapter 11 here because, so we're on the boat and Kieran's kind of pouting and Tareth gives just this really fantastically miserable description of chattel slavery and colonialism that I think bears reading. So basically, Kieran's kind of whining about how he's gauged, which like fair, but and Tareth makes him look down on the slave's hold uh, and he says... They don't care that you're a slave. Look at them. Really look. Do you see them? Men, women, children. Some of them won't live to see the end of this journey. Others will start their lives with concubinage early and rough. They come from a dozen nations, most, some from villages so small they didn't know they had a nation. Most of them don't speak Warren? Where? Where? Anyways, the, la- the, the language uh, or any language you know. They would gladly give their souls to be where you are, too valuable to be thrown in a cell like rotting meat. Instead, they'll die of starvation or flux or not have enough air to breathe during a storm. Look at them. There is no hope in their eyes. They don't even have the strength to cry or ask why this has been done to them. They can only whisper the question the way a madman shouts the same phrase over and over, growing soft and quiet until there is only silence. Like, damn. Yeah, Therese gives Kieran a reality check here. He does. And Kieran, to his credit, accepts it. He's like, yeah, this is fucked up. And like... I don't know if he, like, necessarily sees the way it, it like, goes to his personal life mm-hmm. um, in this moment. Um, it, he, sorry, there is a little bit of a follow-up here. It says, you're, you're Kuros. This is your legacy. This is your gift to the world. Ship after ship of pain, sailing the seas to sate your people's lust and cruelty and your thirst to conquer everything. Don't you dare look away from your birthright. This is what the wizard Gritzt uh, created when he bound the demons. This is what your Emperor Similian brought to the world when he claimed the crown and scepter. This is the way of life Atron Kander died to save. Yeah, it's it's fucked. Yeah, he... Like, you think you've had a shitty life? You think you're having a shitty time right now? Like, look at this and just think about the fact that your entire life and empire is built on this. And, uh, it's, yeah, spitting fire. Yeah, and, you know, maybe it's not fair to say so- to someone who was recently in that position, but also it's exactly the right thing to say to someone who was in that position and is no longer. And was never really going to be in that terrible a position, right? Like, even, because they, they mention that, uh, I think it was Juval, Juval found out who Kieran was very shortly after leaving the capital city. So he was never going to be like, you know, thrown in a hole to die with the rest of the slaves because he was too valuable. For, you know, a kid who grew up in the back of a tavern, Kieran still carries an enormous amount of privilege that he doesn't recognize. And I think a lot of this, especially this first part of the book, is him coming to reckon with that and the privilege that he he had and he carried with him even when he thought that he was having such a hard time. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't let you dwell on the individual. It just makes you look at the individual in the context of the whole, which makes it so much, so much worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, especially when we were talking about, like, 
this book is kind of like Kieran becoming radicalized. So this, yeah, this book is like very much kid who had relatively comfy life realizes that comfy life is built on terrible concepts and vows to destroy society. And it's great. Yeah. Even when he lived in Velvet Town, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, he wasn't a sex slave working in the brothel. He was a performer. He has all this money saved up. He's, you know, he's not exactly the poorest of the poor. And Tarath doesn't know. I don't know how much at this point Tarath knows about Kieran's background. But Tarath, he looks at Kieran and sees the blue eyes and he's like, oh, noble family house. Uh, yeah, he, he probably especially sees like a spoiled little rich boy. Yeah, but the, uh, if you have read and you're listening along and go back to this chapter and where you see the name Grits, uh, I underline that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, and again, like a lot like these kind of first, those first 10 chapters, like there's a lot of little bits and bobs dropped here that start to explain concepts to become a lot more important later. Yeah, no, it went all over my head the first time <laughs> I read. I was like, I don't, Grits? Similar? Who the fuck is Atrin Candor? I don't fucking know. Like, what's happening? Yeah. yeah. Underline it, but if you forget, it's okay. You'll you'll yeah. be reminded, and it's yeah. it's why these books are so good because it's it's there for you to see it, and it's there if you need to come back to it. Either there's way, there's not a lot of extraneous details, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Like as much as there's a lot of knowledge dropped, it for the most part all matters in the end. I would say, mm-hmm. or if it doesn't matter yet. Still got more, two more books. So yeah, like some of it doesn't like yeah, like grits doesn't come up again until like well he comes up but like he comes up in a meaningful way in the third book and I just got to that so yeah it's one of those things where like don't crowd your brain with these details but also don't be afraid to look them up because if if you see a name that seems familiar you probably have seen it before. You don't have to remember Butterbelly. He doesn't matter. I'm just gonna make it. A, I'm just gonna make it a bit about how Butterbelly is not important. But this chapter does introduce uh, Tyenso with uh, like she got name dropped before, but yes. Kieran goes into detail. And uh, when he introduces the boat witch, as he refers to her at first, um, I didn't think she was gonna be a regular character. I, was, I thought oh, she was. Yeah. I thought she was the you know, this is the this is the boat witch. She's gonna be on this boat, and when they're not on the boat, Tyenso is gone. But and you she... think she'd be a villain too mm-hmm. because she gashed Kieran, and he even mentions that. He's like, "Yeah, she gashed me, but I like her. Yeah, she's cool." Or at least he's strongly ambivalent because she yeah. she was only acting under orders, and well, yeah, one could argue it's... that's worse. But Kieran doesn't seem to mind. So and, and she very much seems like the kind of person who is just like. I don't know, she just seems very charismatic, and uh, I think Kieran respects that. Like, he respects the kind of person she is, and she, I don't know. Yeah, she just runs around and being a being a boat witch, and that's her thing. And Before we move into Tanso, I just want to follow, because I had also marked this passage that Steph read, but the part that I liked about it best was a little bit later... Um, where Kieran uh, is objecting to being made to feel legitimately bad about mm-hmm. something that he is complicit in. And he, he just objects, I can't do anything to free these people. Which, 
at the current moment, you know, gauged, half-starved, confused, doesn't know what's going on, uh, in in religious quandary. Um, Karen's going through it a lot right now. Um, so he, ha- yes. he makes a legitimate point, but the, the more legitimate point is the response, which is, that's true if you believe it, that, that you believe that you can't free these people, but make no mistake, it is only true because you believe it. I love that part. Chills. It gave me chills. It's such a good and tr- it's, it's capital T true. It's only true that yeah. you can't change things if you believe you can't change them. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it's something that applies to many facets of life. So anyway, you know, get that, the tattooed somewhere on your body and we, we can move on. Anyway. And that won't be the last time that Kieran is called out on this. Taught, uh, one of the immortals also calls him out on this mm. later on. Yeah, it's great. He gets called out uh, on his uh, petulance, I maybe is a good way to put it. Like, his... His self-absorbedness. He has, a, he has yeah, good he's reasons like, to be... things happen to me and I didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. But I think what makes Kieran a good character is that he grows from it. Like, he does, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Even by the end of the book, like, he has his shit mostly sorted. But he doesn't, he doesn't grow from it, like, he doesn't get called out, and then he immediately changes. Mm, it's yeah. a, like, a, it comes out as, like, an organic, yeah, it like, takes time. growth. Yeah. But, Josh, you want to talk about Tanso, which everyone should, so. Yeah, she's great. Well, it's just this chapter sort of introduces her more heavily, and then, you know, once we get past these chapters, uh, I didn't expect her to, like, be on the island and come back again and be so like I didn't realize how important she was and it's nice to have sort of like a character planted in there at the beginning that you think is one way and then uh, turns out to be totally different yeah it's nice that the books understand the structure of fantasy so well because I also thought okay boat witch she stays with boat Boat, yeah. Boat is her major character feature, but no, she's her own yeah. person. <laughs> she boat. <laughs> she am boat. She boat. She boat. Especially when we, because we don't meet her meter in this chapter, but we mm. we learn about her and then we meet her in chapter thirteen. And the description of her is like very boaty too. Like they talk about how like she's all like weather beaten and she's got shells and driftwood and. Like mm-hmm. seaweed hanging off of her, and you like you don't picture this person ever not being on a boat. Yeah, but it turns out that's just she's she's working with what she's got, and turns yeah. out she's a lot more flexible than you anticipated. She, yeah, and a lot more savvy. Um, a lot of the stuff that she talks about with the uh, with everyone uh, indicates that she knows what's going on, and it totally went over my head because it went yes. over Kieran's head immediately. Oh, yeah. She figures out that Kamezra is not what she seems like five minutes after meeting her. And and to be fair, it's mostly because uh, I think Kieran says something about the fact that Rellis Var is afraid of Kamezra. And so she looks at her and she's like, what the Because she also knows who Rellis Var is. She's just like, what the fuck? And then she says something like, oh, you're good. I didn't even know you were a wizard. In the sense of like, I didn't even know you were a wizard, let alone... You X. appear to be one of the eight immortals. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's also subtle hints about um, Tyenso's background. Where she hints she might have been 
uh, more formally trained than what a normal yes. boat witch is. Yeah, uh, doesn't Tarith ask her something like, "Were you?" He asked her like, "Oh, were you self-taught or or trained?" And I think she says something like a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that she's already unusual, but this wasn't clear to me in my first read through that women as a rule are not trained in magic. Yeah, which they don't really explain it actually like and Dervishar makes some references to it in his notes, but even like yeah, they don't really mention until actually much later that women aren't meant to be taught magic. Yeah. So it's it's actively illegal to be a magic user if you're a woman and it's also illegal to be a magic user if you haven't paid dues to like the empire and the different houses and you're only al- allowed to learn within like a narrow band of like your your yeah, training you're like licensed yeah so like you're licensed to be a healer but you can't do like forgery magic forge being swords not not forging documents like, yeah <laughs> um but like those two concepts were not super clear to me the first read through so just no same yeah there, there are a yeah. lot of levels of organization that um, the the book assumes that you know because it throws you in, which I like, yeah. but also helps. It can be a little like, whoa, what? Er, like, yeah. yeah. And that when, when Christina, when you originally pitched these books to me, I think you said something along the lines of like, well, if you like reading a lot of appendices, uh, check these books out. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I do, like, I don't mind a book where I get thrown in and I have to figure out what's happening. Like, I don't need to be spoon fed. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, definitely there's there's a lot. And uh, one of the, I think the strengths of the writing is that, yes, there's a lot thrown at you, but there's also like enough of a concrete, this is what's happening in this moment and, this, and story structure that you don't get completely lost. Like, I think I said last time, like, uh, Malazan, Book of the Fallen, like, those books are so clouded in concept conceptual writing that you can't even follow what is physically happening in the chapters sometimes. Um, whereas at least here, like, yeah, I can tell what is happening. I might not understand all of the concepts attached to it, but at least I know what's happening. Yes. I like those books, but I, I, after reading these books, I wish there was a Thervishar that did footnotes for that book. <laughs> yeah. It would be much easier. Those, but like, I couldn't do it. I, did, I think I read two of them and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like, it's like reading a dictionary. Yeah. I also stopped it too. Cause I really yeah. liked the first one and then the second one sort of like. It doesn't yeah. help that the second one doesn't, like, pick up the hooks from the first one. Yeah, It's, like, the yeah. third one. It's so weird. The, but, like, it's, like, such a huge thing that I can't... It's hard to digest. Yeah. Yeah, and like I said, like, I don't need to be spoon-fed a story, but I do need to know what's happening. Yeah. I do think... I think at one point there is Char does have a footnote where he's, like... They're talking... Kieran's talking about any, the magic that he can do, and Thervishar is, like, technically... Kieran's a witch under yeah uh, yeah because because Serja would never let him register or even like kind of show off and Serja used magic too so yeah and understandably because I'm assuming you know Serja didn't want Kieran registered anywhere mm-hmm. but yeah yeah there's a note and it's, it's and yeah I mean so yeah a witch is like any woman using magic but also anybody unlicensed. And it, I think it happens as a matter of course, but they could arrest you for it at any time. Kind of like marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know that. 
Oh, in in the U.S. Sorry, Steph. Uh, in the U.S., the f- it's federally illegal, but illegal, oh, but yeah. it's legal in different states, and yeah, it's all it's just a big mess. Um, yeah. We apologize as usual for our country. We're working on it. <laughs> We're trying our best. It's it's you know it's getting better. We're trying. Yeah. Anyway, this is not a politics podcast, or it is, no. but it's a it's a fake fo- fantasy politics. politics. <laughs> so, what did you guys think about? Uh, this was this was a chapter, or this was a section that was heavily uh, on on boats, which is usually yeah. something I oh, hate. Yeah. <laughs> what did you guys think about, like the action and the the sequence with the boats specifically, the present time? I love the tension of it mm-hmm. because you 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 know this kraken starts attacking the the daughter of Laka, and you think you're about to like get into a big action sequence, but really like. It's just this very tense, like, race. And you have, like, Kem Ezra and Tienso take over the boat, like, almost immediately, which is great, because they're fantastic, and it's kind of hilarious to see Juval get uh, just shoved to the side. But, yeah, so the the idea that they can't just kill it, because that'll tell Relosvar which one, that, which boat they are, it just changes the state. Like, again, like, it, you think one thing is about to happen... And she changes up the formula a little bit. And so instead of this pitched naval battle, like very D&D versus a Kraken, now all of a sudden we're in a race, not just like to get away, but like to get into an an area with uh, ship destroying whirlpools. And maybe then we'll survive that. And then hopefully we won't uh, wake the old man, which uh, we learn, later learn is a freaking dragon. So... Yeah, I like that uh, instead of, I don't, yeah, I just, I liked the the tension of it all. Um, I think it made for a much more interesting boat sequence than you normally get. Oh, the, the part about Relosvar sending uh, one of these daughters of Laka to every boat in order mm-hmm. to figure out which one that they're going to kill. And then that's how he figures out. Like he, uh, other fantasy books could have just been like, oh, a Kraken attacks. Also, I like that the Krakens have, you know, they were made by a god, so they have resistance to magic. It's not yeah, just, we get oh, a, a little bit of descriptions of like god kings and and creatures mm-hmm. created by god kings, and then it's and just enough to like whet our appetite. I'm like, what's that? And then we move on. Yeah, one thing that they make very clear is that Kieran is so far over his head. There are so many tiers mm. of bad things happening. So there's not just the Kraken, but also, like, Kieran doesn't even have control over the ship, right? He yeah. he used to be the lowest of the low on the ship, and he got promoted to not a slave anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so there's a Kraken, and there's a witch, and there's a priestess, and there's an assassin, and they're all trying to get to a... a a great whirlpool and then maybe there's a drag it's just it's such a great exercise and how do i make this worse yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah the and then it got worse You're right yeah chapter yeah. 15 definitely lays down Chekhov's gun where it's like here's where mm-hmm. we mentioned the old man that's not gonna come up again oh yeah what that? <laughs> i love that that chapter is really short but one of my favorite things about it is basically like kieran gets up and he like has this feeling and he goes to kim ezra and tienso and he's like I think this is going to happen and I think we should do something about it. And they're like, oh, no, no. We, or he says, like, we need to do this before we enter the Maw. And they're like, oh, we entered the Maw like three hours ago. <laughs> so we're, we're committed at this point. And it's, 
it's nice that everything happens at once, too, because I hate ship fiction. I hate it. I don't care <laughs> oh God, about I rigging. Hate so I hate, I don't care about the mast. Like, mm. a lot of authors, if they are even partially interested in ships, want to tell you all about ships. And I'm just like, yes. I don't care. Because they're like, they had to do they the had to, to yeah. write the book. And so they need to make it worth it. Yeah. I respect that, but I'm not going to read it. <laughs> some of the boat sections in fantasy novels are some of the most skippable, boring oh, parts of any book. The entire second uh, Loch Lamora book, not required. Oh, yeah. No. The pirate book. The pirate book. All boats all day. And I just... that That's why, honestly. I wasn't going to say it because I don't want to diss that series because I do... I love the first book a, so much. It's a great first book. The third one's pretty good, too. Yeah, yeah. I feel bad for Scott Lynch because he basically, like, burned himself out in three books and, like, can't and didn't touch it again for ten years. I So fingers crossed one day he actually does more. But Yeah, I will definitely buy them in hardcover. Is, is tentatively going to publish this year the next book? Yeah. It's I feel like, like he's listed. been saying that for, like, five years. But, like, now he has a finished manuscript and everything. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, because those are great books. But yeah, no, he's had he's had it a, a rough because you know he yeah. got a messy divorce and then yeah, you know, mm-hmm. his, his his it's not like other authors who are just yeah. like very specific in how they write. He's had it rough. Yeah, he's had a hard time. He has, and yeah, I respect his methods. I re- look, he has the right to write about ships. I have the right to. Yes. Skip that book. Be upset about that. (laughs) There's another series. I can't remember the name of it now. I read like the first four books. And then the fifth book was a boat book. Was it the Chronicles of Narnia? Because that is literally the Chronicles of Narnia for me. No, I can't remember it off the top of my head. God, it's I like, like an anime. Like... like every anime needs a beach episode. Like every fantasy series has a boat book. Yeah, but at least beach episodes are fun. Yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing boat fun about not boats. Fun. Sorry. <laughs> no. Firm anti-boat book stance in this podcast. Sorry for boat fans out there. Sorry, boat stands. Yeah, we're not we're not anti-fans of boats. We're just yeah. personally anti-boat. If you like boat books, or if you find something fun about them, let us know. Please explain. Please explain why. And maybe you're just a boat person. I would argue to say I don't think the three of us are boat people in real life. No. 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 Don't, I, no. I, I, do like, yeah. I do like The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. That's the closest I get That's the to only boat thing I've boats. ever like. I've been playing um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey and I had one major quest line left, but I had to do like five naval battles and I was like, well, I guess I'm done this game. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Fuck that. Also, recommend us some good boat fantasies yeah i'm willing to i'm willing to try but it i just i don't want to hear about the rigging i don't i can't oh you know what i i did just think of one exception to boats bad boats uh the boat that's currently stuck in the suez canal (laughs) best boat (laughs) i would argue it's not the boat that we love but the memes the memes and like just the general it's just somebody described it as just like the last couple of years where everything has been so complicated big boat being stuck is just such a nice <laughs> simple headline and it just it like smooths down my brain a little bit boat stuck boat need to move <laughs> yeah that's fair for anyone listening to this at a different time there's a boat stuck in the suez canal 
That's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah. You'll probably remember it. It was a big uh, deal for a while. I there's a tweet going around about uh like how like how you if you're the person that's gonna uh sail the second ship from the same company <laughs> and you ha- and like how mu- how much must it be going through your head that you have the opportunity to do the funniest thing ever <laughs> and get your boat stuck awesome. <laughs> Please don't. We need global shipping to kind of work still. But I get it. Alright, boat segue. Done. (laughs) To to wrap up the boat section, yes. Only in these ten chapters is there a boat. Afterward, we get off the boat. So... That's true. These 80 pages, you know, we dealt with everything you could possibly deal with on a boat, which is Mm -hmm. krakens, dragons, whirlpools, slave ships, naval battles, Mm -hmm. and storms. No, yeah. the only thing we don't deal with is a storm, because he's like, specifically, this is a clear day. Yeah. So, congratulations. You've hit all the boat check marks for your year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's definitely something I keep track of. Can we talk about the old man? Because oh, man. Yes. I, I love, love yeah. <laughs> I love the dragons in these books. Because, like, dragons are kind of old news, and Jen Lyons has managed to make dragons she has managed to make dragons scary and cool again yes yeah yes to all of that except i i have a special special soft spot for anything with the dragon and so i will never think they're not cool but i i agree with you intellectually yes you are correct i am the wrong one here (laughs) dragons are old i just don't find them that way yeah i still love dragons though but it's just that like between fighting them in skyrim and then Fighting them in D and D, and then being them being everywhere, and uh, uh, the Game of Thrones show kind of taking them out pretty easily. Like mm-hmm. it's like the old man when you meet him is like when you read the description of dragons in like the Monster Manual and you realize how big of a deal they are. Yeah, that you don't get when you're playing D and D. Like the old man is huge. He like. Kieran's like, "Hey, what's that island over there? Oh, yeah. it's uh, it's un- it's untangling itself, and it- oh, that's a dragon. Oh my god, that's a dragon. And uh, it's just like, and the way that the the font changes in the I don't know if it's in the digital. Yeah, it's bold. But, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. but it, like it looks cool. Like you, her dragons feel otherworldly, and yes. yeah. they don't feel like oh, here's a monster." Here's a big fire-breathing lizard. Right, exactly. They're, like, almost... So, there's a... I think there's a book called A Mountain Walked, and it's about Lovecraftian monsters. And it's just the unbearable thought of something so permanent as a mountain getting up and walking. It just fucks with your brain. This is that feeling. It's like the island was walking. Make it stop. They're almost Lovecraftian. Lions, dragons are, they're not just, yeah, they're not just, like, creatures. They are forces of nature. Yes. They're, like, if a hurricane was crammed into a a lizard body, you know? Like, it's, he, he like, sh- the old man is a living volcano that is mm-hmm. up and flying around and wants to sing to you. It, it yeah. wants a lullaby, which is a horrifying... Yeah, he <laughs> wants to go night-night. It, 
Yeah. Or like if it's if it's interested in you, that's worse somehow. It's better, but it's worse. And like there are no good options with these dragons. And it's yeah. it's really <laughs> just like refreshing. Mom, I wanna keep Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when when he says, I won't hurt him, mother, like that's creepy. That yeah, and, and even Karen is so funny. Like he, he was like, "Yes, but will he walk me every day and pet me and feed me?" <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, speaking of fire breathing, I would just like to read a small passage about the old man's fire breathing because you know, uh, fire breathing from a dragon is kind of old hat, mm-hmm. so we tend to take it for granted. But Kieran uh, describes the old man's fire breath as like. I'm sure you've heard stories about dragons breathing fire, but believe me when I say what this one did was worse. That that was not fire as you find in a kitchen or forge, not the sort of fire that happens when you rub two sticks together, or even the magic flame sorcerer's conjure. This was all the ashes of a furnace, of a furnace, of a thousand furnaces, heated to iron-melting white-hot strength and blasted out at typhoon velocity. The heat melted, the ash scoured, and the glowing cloud left no air to breathe. And then Thurvishar has a note of like, oh, uh, by the way, this fire breathing that the dragon does, it killed like everyone in this town, like way over here. The scale is immense. And it's yeah. it's so refreshing because you're so used to dragons being like, hi there, partner. Let's have a chat. Yeah, like friends, or or even if not friends, but like more human. I don't know, like just more approachable. More, they're on a human scale. Mm. Yeah, and like they are. It's like uh, the hero and the dragon mm-hmm. are often presented as equal, while yeah. here, Kieran and the old man are nowhere close. Yeah, yeah. humans. Humans are could be a pet. Could even be, yeah. you know, a fond pet, but they could never be an equal. And it makes it. I think that's part of what makes it so fucking terrifying that, like, they're like, sing to him. And Kira's like, what the fuck? And they're like, just sing to him. And it works. Like, mm. one person in the middle of this maw singing to a dragon, and, like, it works. And then all of a sudden, it's like the dragon has fixed on you and wants you to come sing with it. It's just like it's so you, this this insanely giant living volcano fucking thing, and it wants you to sing to it. Like that just seems so wrong and weird. Oh yeah, and it's great that singing works here, and then it turns out oh, singing to it was a huge mistake <laughs> because this isn't even the most horrifying moment mm-hmm. for. For the old man, like that moment yeah. that comes later on with the old man and the yeah. what he has done to uh, other people that mm-hmm. have sung for him. Oh my god, it's the mo- it's one of the most horrifying it's so moments. It's, so it's awful. Yeah, yeah. Like, but it, I also just, love it. Uh, it. It's weird because it does save them in the moment mm-hmm. because I think otherwise they would not have made it to the island. Um, but then. Yeah, it, like, fucks with their lives for, like, the next two years. It, yeah, it, there's no winning against a dragon, and it's immediately clear, and it's really effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, 
Yeah, I just I just love the dragons, and they're all different. And you'll meet them in yeah. in different books. You'll meet different ones, and they're all very unique. This is a more traditional yeah. dragon, you know, like a Western yeah. fire breathing dragon. But there will be others, and they will be worse and or differently bad. Just something that I you wouldn't expect. Yeah, when you think dragon, and I yeah. Well, if you play a lot of D and D, you'll you'll maybe get some flavors in there, but it's not like. One of my favorite things is when the dragon calls Kimezra mother. Kieran just like raises an eyebrow at Tareth, like, excuse me? And Tareth's just like, ah, everybody calls her that. <laughs> and it's very clear on the second read through that he's lying. He's lying! But also, it was not clear at all on my first read through that he was lying. He no. was just like, yeah. It would be physically impossible for her to be a literal mother, so it must be a metaphor of some kind. (laughs) Anyway, just you wait. Only a couple pages later, we, I'm using air quotes here, see Kemezra turn into a dragon. So then it's like, um, what? That is something that may or may not happen and may or may not (laughs) break into Kieran's reality for a little while. Yeah. Because Kieran, Kieran immediately nopes out and then goes to meet a different goddess, which is... Yeah, he has a, he has a little beach chat with Taja. I love... This is, I think this is one of my favorite chapters it's really in funny. the entire book. His I love the, with Taja. the visual of the tidal wave, like, arcing above them and slowly, slowly descending as they talk about... Again, Kieran kind of being like, Things went bad for me, and I didn't like it. And this goddess being like, well, sometimes things go poorly. You still gotta fucking deal with it. Also, Relisvar scares the shit out of me, and I'm a god, so maybe you should think about that. Like, it's definitely another one of those, like, Kieran, bigger issues at play here. Yeah, I like that he's like, are you basically saying that I should stop whining? And she goes, yes. Please. (laughs) Everybody uh, is tired. Of I have a question that I was thinking about as I was reading this chapter yesterday. Why do you think Taja presents herself as a small child to Kieran? Because I have some theories. I have no the- theories. Uh, my theory is that this is how Taja appeared to uh, Kieran in his past life. Like, I don't know the mm. age difference from the past, but... Maybe we'll get more details in this further on. I thought it might be just because children are are such avatars of randomness. Mm. We don't really know. Chaos. Yeah, we don't really know why children do things. They do things for reasons, but sometimes they're inexplicable uh, to our adult sensibilities. I do like, just in general, like the idea that not all the eight immortals were adults. Mm-hmm. And they became that mm-hmm. way, like the idea of a a child, yeah, being becoming the incarnation of luck, but also like chaos, right, is terrifying but interesting. Yeah, there have been some interesting child deities that show up in other books, um, and I should I should just compile a list, but they're always there's always this aspect of capriciousness to them. That's kind of fun, but also a little bit like it really exemplifies some of the ways that we relate as humans to the gods in our own world is like we don't really understand and we're trying to make our peace with that. But like some of the gods that we 
worship or created, depending on your viewpoint, like they're they're really capricious. We like placating them is the best we can do, and kids are kind of like that. It's like I'll give you anything, just stop crying. Yeah, (laughs) it's like I'll give you anything, just stop killing us with plague. Kids will throw a fit because their bath is too wet. Like, how do you deal with that when that kid isn't gone? Right, yeah. Or that kind of explains our world. It's like, why is this happening? It's like, well, what if a kid's in charge? It's like, well, that makes as much sense as anything else. (laughs) Anyway. Something I forgot about as I was reading this book that was reminded in this chapter is that uh, the sun is not yellow and the sky is not blue, which like really messed with my head the first time I read it. And the fact that she mentions uh, Taya's veil protecting uh, them from radiation and Thervishar has a footnote of like radiation. What, what does she mean? And like, I can't find any of these references to Taya's veil and yeah, he thinks uh, it's radiance. He's like radiant Mm. from what? And yeah. yeah, he doesn't understand that it's a, a different concept altogether. She mentions the sun is orange, but she doesn't mention what color the sky is. Is it? Do you know? Uh, do you guys remember what color the it sky is? It might be kind of greenish, but I could be making that up. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't it remember. It's teal a lot, right? Maybe, a, yeah. But it is something I'm gonna like. Now that we've read this chapter, it's something I'm going to be like. You know, like, like, oh, like back in the uh, our previous episode that we recorded, who that Manolvane was working for. I want to know uh, what color the sky mm-hmm. is. So it's like these those little details where you don't get the first time you read it, but the next time you read it, you look for them. Yeah. Um. One other thing we kind of learn this chapter too is so Taja's talking about how. You know, there's this millennia-old war between the gods and the demons about to kick off again. And that, so she says, "Uh, big waves start from small ripples. Avalanches begin with a single pebble. And Kieran's like, I'm your pebble? She's like, yes. Also, you volunteered. And then he's (laughs) like, I don't remember that. She's like, of course you don't. You hadn't been born yet. (laughs) So that's kind of one of our our first inclinings of, okay, Kieran, maybe there's some kind of past life or memory loss situation going on here. Like, Kieran is... I don't think we have thought that he is what he seems, but um, there is some some metaphysical stuff going on here. Uh, oh yeah, and and Kieran is not just a really unlucky kid. Yep, and like Therese, Taja gives him the oh you have a choice in the matter, but and then yeah. she's like oh well, you have a choice, but not choosing this means you're abandoning your friends, and he's like that's a, like a low blow, and she's like that sucks. I mean, what are you gonna do? You you have to make these decisions, and I've chosen you for this. Yes. And she also makes a point of saying, like, yeah, you can choose to not be a part of this. It doesn't mean the consequences of your decisions won't still come back for you. Like, yeah, you could run away and go open a tavern in the middle of nowhere. Like, it doesn't mean that the world's not going to still be fucked. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, well, you can choosing not to choose is a choice you you don't get to opt out of the universe yeah. just because you don't like it yeah yeah so i i really liked the whole ship sequence and what it leads to in terms of like meaningful conversations like the whole conversation about what luck is is really thoughtful and powerful and interesting and the whole conversation about what empires are built on which is you know the labor of slaves is 
horrifying. But then we have the whole other section where Kieran is doing his traditional, who am I? What am I chosen for routine yeah. in, the, in the past? Yeah. Um, which I liked, but it, it, it moved a lot slower than I remember. Like, we get a lot of information, but I was kind of surprised at how little happened in that sequence compared to the boat section where I was like, hi, we threw everything in the ocean at you. Anyway, good luck. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, she balances that really well. Yeah. Because then later on, you know, he's on the island just doing stuff and trying to figure out how to get off the island while the other story has all the drama with the noble houses and Darzen yeah. and Theron. Mm-hmm. So this part has him like slowly discovering who he really is in Talon's story, while Kieran's story has the oh crap, a dragon, a goddess, I'll kraken. <laughs> yeah. There's usually something dramatic happening in one of the stories. And then that's usually when the other story like takes a breather. Yeah. Or at least lets you pause and write your notes because mm-hmm. Darzen shows up. Valathea shows up, the yeah. harp, which, uh, if you haven't put that in your notes, make a note. Valathea, um, the harp. The harp uh, is important. Yeah. We get this sort of, we get lots of really sweet Ola and Kieran moments here. Like, we see that, like, Ola really does see herself as Kieran's mom, and I think that she does, or he sees her, he, he said before, like, he sees her as a mother figure, even though Kieran thinks that Ola wouldn't hesitate to sell them out. I think we see in these little bits here and being in Ola's head a little bit that she actually, she wouldn't. And they have this kind of story about where Kieran came from, but baked into that, we learn about emperors and how the Emperor of Kerr is chosen and the fact that emperors are immortal as as soon as they become emperor. So it's, it's nice little world building kind of like wrapped in a personal story, which does not end they don't even try to really pretend it's true like ola tells this story about finding seeing a woman attacked and she had a baby and she brought the baby home but then later karen's like nah she just serja just found me on a dumpster so yeah so it's this kind of little dance that he and ola have which is hilarious because well so ola lets karen believe that she's lying but she's yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, she weird. she it's told like... him the truth under the guise of telling him bullshit. And th- these books can be frustrating at times because that's happening with everyone all the time. Everyone's mm. letting someone else believe that they're lying, but they're actually this other person entirely, or their soul has been switched, or they're actually oh, a god, God, yeah. or they're actually the reincarnation of somebody's lover who they left at some other time to be someone's lover for the third yeah. time. Yeah. Oh my God. We, yeah. We've talked about this a little bit. Like, I still don't understand really where Olaf got Kieran from and how he ended up with the Stone of Shackles because there's body switching, but then the stone doesn't switch with the body and Talon's involved in there somewhere, too. Oh, right. There's an actual like, shapeshifter. Yeah. And then there's an actual shapeshifter. Um, yeah. So it's, but um, yeah. So then while we have this, you know, very dramatic boat story happening um we're also learning a lot about Kerr and the capital city we learn about emperors we learn about the court of gems we learn that eye color equals nobility uh we meet the milligrists 
and and sweet baby Jareth, who must be protected and is not. There's also a character, uh, a daughter, El- uh, Elidore. Does she ever show up again? No! Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> but that's okay. the thing that I took from uh, reading this. I'm like, Oh yeah, I totally forgot that? about her. Yeah, yeah, same. Like I can't, like I know she's gonna appear again because that's how so far all this book is right, uh, except right? for Butterbelly. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, but I, I think part of it is she might also just be in there a little bit, like to show how just Kieran knows nothing about how the upper circle works mm-hmm. because he walks into this the house of one of the most powerful families in the city and starts bantering with the favored child. And, like, mm. talking about how hot she is to her brother. Yeah. And then later when Jareth is like, yeah, I'm a milligreased. So is she. Yeah, the general's our father. And Kieran just about shits himself. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, Jareth is a good boy who doesn't care. And Kieran's like, not Kieran's not being lewd or or No, crappy. no. He's, he's just, just flirting. flirting. Um, yeah. And it's good. Uh, she and she, she writes back. flirting yeah. very well. Yeah. Oh yeah, we also finally got that description of uh, the dream girl mm-hmm. uh, in chapter twelve. Because I remember last episode, I was like, "Where is this description?" And it's because it happens later. This that chapter also has uh, the greatest, some of the greatest foreshadowing, where Kieran uh, takes the the world equivalent of tarot cards, and he oh, <laughs> and he draws, and he's like, "Oh." Uh, death, darkness, evil, the void. shadow. He's like, yeah. wow, that's the worst reading I ever had. This isn't <laughs> foreshadowing anything at all. And like Taja's like behind the screen scenes just screaming at him. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking idiot, I gave you those cards for a reason. Yeah, you could just hear Scar from The Lion King singing Be Prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, we meet Darzan in this this set of chapters, and he is just a big piece of shit from the minute we meet him to the very end. He sucks. Why is he hanging out in a room and making it so hot? I don't understand. Is he trying to summon a demon? I think he... Actually, I don't know, and... This is I where people should call either. me on my bullshit. But I, I thought it was because he is, like, all the demon summoning has le- rendered him, like, cold like the void. Oh, I like but that. But I don't actually know that that's true. I think I'm pulling that out of my ass, so. Because <laughs> he, like, everybody in the room comments on how hot it is. Yeah. And Darzan's just like, oh, well, I like it like this. Yeah. I, Maybe he's just a monster who likes I mean, it really hot. Straight up, he is. Like, or, he is or maybe it has something to do with hanging out with a certain someone who's like yeah. an undead wizard. Yeah. Oh, that too. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not, yeah, it's not something that's ever really like addressed in a major, maybe it is, and I've just forgotten and I will find out later, but um, I'm sure it I is. just thought that was such a weird detail that, mm-hmm. yeah. I know, I totally yeah, forgotten I, about that part. I totally yeah. forgotten that he shows up then at all and that's how he gets, he gets wise to Kieran. Yeah, like, is that luck? Is that Taja interference? Is that something else happening? I mean, it sounds like Theron was meant to be there, mm-hmm. but... Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't think of that. And also... I love that yeah. he's like, uh, sorry. No, no, no. Uh, I love that he's like, oh, 
Sergio always taught me to not make eye contact with the nobles. Mm. And he makes contact with Darzen, and he sees that Darzen has blue eyes, and Darzen sees he has blue eyes. And then I was telling Steph that in my notes, I just put, and in that moment, Kieran knew he fucked up. <laughs> yep. Because Darzen's like, that's when he, he's looking at Kieran's eyes, and he goes from just looking normally to, like, a devilish smile. And I was like, oh no, it's, Kieran. He's just made like, I've a made mistake. A, I've made a huge mistake. Turns out my dad yeah. was right. Damn it, I am a teenager. Yeah, and just the, <laughs> you really get this horribly well-described just sense of, like, like, skin-crawling dread from Kieran, who, like, ostensibly is here for, like, a good reason. He helped kill a demon. He's gonna get a free harp. Awesome. Cool. And then he, about, ha- like, not even halfway in the chapter, he's just like, I need to leave, I need to leave, I need to leave, I need to leave, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. Total panic. Yep. Oh, yeah, and he makes that connection, because he goes to the upper circle, and he's connecting, because they have all different lamps that, uh, mm-hmm. like magic lamps that have the color of the family houses. And he's like, oh, amethyst is this house, and red is this house. He's like, blue. What house is that? And then he realizes, <laughs> wait, why did Serja, who taught me all this stuff, leave this gap in my education? Mm-hmm. And then we find out why. And it's like, oh my god. Like, you really stepped in it now. Yeah. I, I really, I want to see the house that have opal eyes. That sounds cool as hell. It does. Yeah, that sounds fruity. It also sounds a little bit like, uh, K-Mezra. That her eyes are kind of yeah. weird. I don't think she has pupils and irises though, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. I, it's probably not an actual connection. Now my brain is yeah. like, it's that disease. it's one of those things where, like, because magic is like an inherited trait, mm-hmm down to like your physiology it's not i think unrealistic to think that there's some kind of connection there i think it's probably just that these books kind of mess with your head and apophenia the the disease or the the syndrome where you you make connections that just because humans humans make connections but they don't mean anything (laughs) it's just like no my head but there's enough that does connect in these books yeah it's like maybe yeah um Josh Butterbelly yeah. is going to come back. I swear. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> He's just going to come back to die. <laughs> but like, I, I love that the, the Oriel houses all have these colors. And uh, something I totally forgot about was uh, how Kieran describes the Oriel houses as God touched. Mm. And I, I, I might be getting the details wrong, but it's like each of these noble families was chosen by the eight immortals. And then they sort of grew from that. Like, I, I don't remember yeah, the exact families, backstory right? to them. I think so. I will yeah, look in I the think book. So. When Kieran is talking to Jareth, we get kind of a little bit of information about, you know, how nobility works. You have the Court of Gems, which is these eight God-touched houses, but then you have other houses like the Milligrees, where they're not God-touched, they don't have this these magic eyes and stuff, but they're so integral and so close to the government that they have their own kind of power. There are 12. 12? Okay, never mind. Yeah, sorry. It sounds like some of them are kind of minor, though. But anyway. And Kieran just knows none of this. He's raised in, like, no, this yeah. adorable ignorance. And then you have to then you have to question it, like, Thurvishar is questioning it in the footnotes. It's like, 
how intentional was this? Was he being driven? It's like, mm-hmm. who? how far down the rabbit hole would you like to go today? <laughs> I got it. It's in the glossary. God touched. A gift or curse, depending on who asks, handed down by the eight immortals to the eight houses of war. Oh, the royal okay. houses are forbidden on pain of death from making laws. As a side right. effect of the curse, each house has a distinctive eye color. That brings us back to the whole witches thing. That means the eight immortals made the law about witches, and I really want to know why. I think... about Like with women. I don't think they did. I think that horror did later. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's the royal houses. The royal houses are forbidden on death. Uh, pain of death for making laws. That doesn't mean horror is yeah. uh, forbidden for making laws. So, because I think I yeah, think the Ogenra, the bastards, yeah, they have yeah. magic, but they're not official. So then they can make laws. Yeah, they they mention that later when we learn kind of more about them. They're like, oh yeah, if you're not. Yeah, you you are uh, you are of the house, but because you're not a member of the house, then um, you can be in like the council and stuff. And so the houses are constantly vying to get their all their bastards on the council. Yeah, it's like um, so that they can to have rule, have extramarital children. Yeah, and yeah, and then we, uh, Kieran gets a fancy harp. Horan and Darzan talk a little bit after. Mostly, Darzan's being a little shit. Uh, and then, oh yeah, and then Darzan was like, yeah, he's clearly one of ours, thanks. Yeah, and he's like, I gotta go, and Jarrah's like, no, you said you were coming here for yeah. dinner in place of Theron, you have to stay. And part of me is like, does Jareth know that he's about to do something to Kieran, and he's trying to yeah, I think so. uh, protect him a little bit? I think so, yeah, because yeah. um, Theron also mentioned something about how Kieran is he, Kieran's just going to run off and sell Valathia right away. Um, because as we, we learn later, like, Theron runs the Shadow Dancers. So Theron is possibly aware of Kieran's, like, thieving persona. or at least, And we at least knows Butterbelly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember if it, I think it's Corrin who's like, no, I don't think he will. He seems pretty enamored with that harp. And then, yeah, and then something like, they, they talk something along the lines of like, oh, somebody has plans for him or... It would be, it, it's like, it's a very like, oh, it would be a shame if something were to happen to Kieran, you know? What is it? Let me find it. So they're talking about uh, Kieran uh, selling the harp. And Corrin says, no, he won't. I saw the look on his face. He would die first. Besides, it's not my decision. The emperor is interested in that boy. I wouldn't want to be the person who allowed him to come to harm. Uh, Darzan Demon looked as he if he'd swallowed bile. No, no, neither would I. So, there's yeah. some. I want to know what this fucking plan that I this seems like Serja and Sandus had for Kieran. Like, were they gonna make him the next emperor? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. 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 It's so frustrating because you can feel how badly their plans went awry, but that they might have been really good plans. Because Sandus, yeah. we haven't really met him yet, but he shows up to immediately fix a threat to the population, and he's a commoner, and, like, the Milligrees seem... doesn't like him, so I immediately like him. Right, yeah, the Milligrees mm-hmm. seem like really good people. Yeah, I'm curious if we'll ever find out what the plans were. Yeah. And obviously, we talked about this last time, but I really want the the story of how they all came up and met and 
then got mad at each other. I do love though the like they're they're or not they lions is really hammering home the point that like yes this child grew into a shitty adult he just was shitty his parents couldn't control him and now he's in charge of things this is a terrible system like kieran finds out that like at the end of the chapter that um morea's sister um is darren like uh or darzen bought her and then there's nothing they can do because slaves aren't people. And so, like, killing your slave, there are no consequences. So Darzan is basically free to just murder and rape as he likes. And this is, I think, Kieran is primed by these chapters to, on the boat, see the, the other side of the consequences. Is just kind of like, this is a terrible system that you're perpetuating. You're part of this. Yeah, and it, we... We learn a little more about what a horrible person Darzan is when Jareth basically says, Darzan is such a shitbag that if I even mention the sister, he will kill her just because he knew that I was interested in her. Or that he will bring her, like, ostensibly to sell her and then make me watch him torture her to death. Yeah, so we have no illusions about who we're, we're dealing with. No, it's, you know... cartoonishly terrible people and villains can be really irritating sometimes, but like, yeah, sometimes a a well-written cartoonishly bad guy is like, it's good and I fucking hate him and I can't wait to see him just get super stabbed by a sword. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) The last couple of years have taught us that those kind of people aren't as unrealistic as we hoped. And they very rarely get their comeuppance in real life. So it's nice to see people get stabbed sometimes. Yeah. Turns out there's no satire that you can write that isn't taken seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the come up is coming, um, mm-hmm. which we should promise explicitly in this early episode because it gets real bad. And yeah. you you kind of are afraid that it, it will stay real bad. Um, but I think the action was my favorite part because I'm... Sometimes I'm just easily amused by a cheap thrill, and these were a hell of a lot of cheap <laughs> thrills in quick succession. Um, I I do love the politics, uh, but they're and they're coming in stronger. Um, but I just I just friggin' love the dragon and the fights. Yeah, they're so good. Yeah, I I, I really appreciate that that is sprinkled in because uh, it mixes well with the part that I love is all the exposition about the world and what the f- future is for Kieran in both uh, Talon's story and uh, Kieran's story. And it's, you know, it's done enough to be like, yeah, give me, because I want to know all the details. But it's not done in a way where it's just like, you know, here's a jar of exposition. And I'm just going <laughs> yeah. to pour it all on at once. It's, you know, gently tilted and then, you know, whatever. <laughs> a, a, a drizzling, like with all of A oil. drizzling of exposition maple yes. syrup on your plot pancakes. <laughs> this is the greatest metaphor I've ever heard. <laughs> Extra virgin uh, exposition syrup. Mm, delicious. What about you, Seth? Both stuff was good. I liked I liked the world building, yeah. Like you said, like it it was dribbled out enough there where it's not super overwhelming. There, and there's this sort of growing sense of dread 
in the uh, Talon story because we know that Kieran doesn't end up in, in a good place and something is clearly happening to him. But like, what what do you know? What's what's something's wrong here? What where does this go poorly? Uh, what is everyone currently reading? Mine is the same as last time, because I've been chugging away at uh, book three of this series. So I'm trying to I'm trying to get through that because it's very good right now. It is immense, though. Yeah. Josh, what are you reading? I'm currently reading book two of this series <laughs> as well. Uh, the name of all things, as well as uh, making my way through The Echo Wife by Sarah Gailey. Oh, which yeah. Which is very good. And I am reading uh, Nicole Corner Stace's Firebreak, which is, it's super good. It's almost stressful to read. It's so suspenseful. Mm. And uh, it's about gamers. Um, so if you're a gamer, it's a really good, um, it's a really good anti-capitalist proxy battle. <laughs> but also gamers. So, you know, if either of those things interest you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for subscribing and rating and maybe checking out our Patreon. Steph, plug your stuff. If you want to hear more of me on Geekly, I'm on the Random Encounters feed with Christina playing Sailor Moon. Uh, I am also on some other podcasts. Love to Hate, SHU, and Demons Are a Girl's Best Friend, also with Christina, talking about books. And... Oh, and I edit Welcome to St. Paxson now. Yeah, and then you can find me on Twitter at Steph O'Kingston. Josh. Uh, you can follow me at 4or5wits on Twitter and most other social media, and you can read my reviews at uh, geeklyinc.com's reading section. You can find me on Twitter at Girl and uh, all this podcast Steph mentioned, Demons Are a Girl's Best Friend, Sailor Moon, and the website josh mentioned geekly inc reading check us out or just keep listening or don't we're not the boss of you thank you for listening to no page unturned part of the geekly inc podcast family if you like the show please show us some love with a rating and review on your favorite podcast app you can follow us on twitter and instagram at no page podcast the show is edited by me steph kingston our amazing theme music is by Bad Sparrow, and you can check them out at Bad Sparrow Music. And our cover art is by Chango Chimango, who you can check out on Instagram and Twitter at Chango Chimango.